right. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Close Podcast. I'm Cooper Knowlton. I'm joined uh, with uh, Michael Flynn, uh, partners at BFKP. And we are very pleased to have uh, David Sheldon joining us today. Um, David Sheldon is a coordinator and member of the community advocacy group uh, Save Our Seaport, which is now part of the Seaport Coalition. Um, Save Our Seaport and I believe the Seaport Coalition were both recently involved in a very interesting lawsuit, um, which touches on a lot of themes that uh, developers and real estate professionals in New York City see frequently. Um, we thought it was an interesting case and an interesting matter. Um, and the seaport's a really interesting part of New York City's storied history. So we were we were very excited to get David to to join us and give him give us a little bit of his time to to kind of provide some background on the work that he's been doing with the with that and um, kind of some of the some of the interesting background on on this case. So David, um, first off, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and then maybe the maybe the the most logical place to start here is to just kind of give uh, for I think most of our listeners are, are New Yorkers, but um, maybe to just kind of frame up the lawsuit and and to kind of give give people the the, the big picture perspective on um, on South Street Seaport and why it's such a significant part of New York City might be a great place to start. <laughs> it could also take all day. Uh, the Seaport the Seaport Historic District. Um, is the oldest is the largest collection of, of 19th century architecture in the city. It is the heart of where the New York City seaport was when it began. It grew from there. Uh, it is still, you know, cobbled streets and old, very old architecture. And you can get off a subway. And I think what's unique about it is you can get off a subway and walk into different century. At the same time, it's a living New York City neighborhood. It's got a dry cleaner as well as a ship's chandlery. Um, you have tall ships there on the East River. You have some ships that actually sail. There is no admission gate. It's a New York City neighborhood as well as an historic landmark. And I think that's unique about it uh, and charming about it. Uh, it was declared, I believe, in 1977 to be an historic district which means there are certain preservation criteria for it. It was, in fact, the first instance, I believe, where instead of urban renewal, you had urban preservation. Rather than bulldoze all those buildings, it was decided, let's save them. And a great deal of money was put into doing that. And I think it was worth it. But nonetheless, you can walk down that street, you can get a beer just like you could, frankly, 200 years ago. Um, but you do it today, and it's no one's dressed up or modeling anything. We're doing it for real. We're sailing those. I am one of their volunteers, by the way, a sailor down there as well, which is how I got involved. Uh, we don't do it just like the movies. The movies do it just like us, because that's how you sail those boats. The area has been, I would say, under pressure. Since it began, it is some prime real estate, especially when they removed the Fulton Fish Market, which did give a certain air to the place. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was a, it's very unusual to walk into a bar and see happy hours at 7 a.m., because that's when people got off work. Um, but under a lot of pressure, it has been almost under siege in many respects. Uh, 
this tall building is not the first one proposed there at all. There have been organizations that preceded us, uh, Seaport Community Coalition preceded us. They still, still have an online presence. They were part of what zoned, rezoned that area uh, because of the many proposals that have been made for outsized buildings at precisely the lot 250 Water Street. This isn't the first one, but it's our turn to fight. And we fight it not because we value the parking lot. Please build something on it. It's not very pretty. But build it within the scale that is dictated to be appropriate for this landmark preservation site. The historic district. Um, and that's been zoned. And it was zoned because, frankly, the Landmarks Preservation Commission got tired of arguing about it. They said, do people just come up with something, please? They did. This is again before our time, but that's where the 120 feet came from. It's like everybody got together and let's rezone this and settle that question. Only for the Landmarks Preservation Commission to come along now, ignore it. The as soon as the Howard Hughes Court, I'm going to try and sum this up. As soon as the Howard Hughes Corporation made public the fact that it had purchased the 250 Water Street lot, we all knew we were in trouble. Um. And we girded for the fight and we went to all the hearings. And when it finally got to Landmarks Preservation, I will tell you in my view, looking at the chair, I, I just thought to myself, well, the fix is clearly in. Uh, there had been four instances in the past where the Landmarks Preservation Commission had just turned down flat outsized proposals. Several others had been withdrawn. Uh, there was no question what the precedents were and why they were. The past decisions have been quite explicit as to why that boundary is where it is, why it should stay where it is, and why nothing outside should be built within it, even if it is in a parking lot. When that decision went against us, we went can, to court. Can I just can I just can I just cut you off because we're Please. now we're starting to get into we're starting to get into the weeds of of the case a little bit. Okay. So maybe we could just back up a, a, a tiny bit and so so. This matter, maybe, obviously, the the the, the lawsuit and, and what we're what we're going to be talking about really um, relates to this. It, it, you said it's a, a 250 foot parking lot, right? No, the uh, address is 250. Oh, I'm sorry, two, that's, I knew there was 250. There was 250 somewhere floating in my head. That's why I the said number that. right at least. I, I know the, the number. Sorry. The number was somewhere in there, and it was just that was what that was what came out. But 250 Water Street, this parking lot, and and the fight has been about what 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 that is going to be turned into, right? So so maybe you could just sort of start by giving us the the, the context of this, what where this plot is, what what this plot of land looks like, and and kind of when when you became involved to to. Um, kind of fight this this new building proposal? It is a surface parking lot. Uh, there's no structure there other than, you know, Colgate. Uh, it's got a fence. That's how we found it. Uh, it's now a construction site. And it is within the boundaries of the South Street Seaport Historic District. Is it on, what is it, Pearl, I think, at that point? It is across the street from the Southbridge Towers uh, housing co apartment complex. It also abuts Exlip, Exlip School. Uh, several of the landmark, several small scale buildings that are part of the seaport assemblage. Uh, how to describe it? 
It's a big flat open space. And from that big flat open space, I noticed you can see right into the seaport, you can see the masts of the ships. Clearly, if a, any building is put there, that building will be obscured. But if a 324-foot tower, tower is put there, you're not going to see anything else. In fact, the way it's laid out, it stretches the whole lot. And that's a big block. So what's proposed is 324 feet. What the zoning was, was 120 feet. What the Landmarks Preservation Commission had turned down in the past several times was something of that size. For the reason that it would obscure the boundaries of the district and the boundaries extend to that street adjacent to Southbridge, it's a very clear boundary. And it establishes a view and it also defines the view from within the seaport. If you look up and you see a wall of stone, glass, and steel, it's, I think the phrase they once used was dominate and overpower the rest of the area, which I think it would uh, It's an aesthetic call. That's exactly what Landmarks is supposed to be about. Right. Yeah, that puts it into context. Because I think uh, if you just saw the headline that it was over a parking lot, it would it would be easy to say, you know, what, what's the fuss about? But I think well, you, you you pretty nicely explained why it's really all about the view, and it's it's key. Dominate is the right a, word. I would. It is that is part of it. Um, it's also about the integrity of the South Street Seaport Historic District and every historic district. Uh, this would definitely whittle away a major, major corner of it. It is not the only corner in that district. It is not the only corner in the historic districts of New York City. It is bad precedent, in our view, to start sawing off chunks of historic districts for, for development of this size. Bad precedent, it's also... This is not the first court decision on this particular matter. We had also gone to court uh, with city planning and the council. The same judge, Edgaron, found that although the city had clearly jumped through a lot of hoops to make this possible, and although the result was, as he put it, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, something that no one would, would see, no one would expect to see in the seaport district, nonetheless was within the city's rights to jump through those hoops and it jumped through them correctly. Um, that whole process of facilitating this development and our foils, our foil request outlined the fact that the developer had been meeting with the city before it made the public announcement of the purchase, had been meeting consistently with the Landmark Preservation Commission, like on a regular basis, uh, to the point of staging uh, practice presentation, practice hearing, uh, that the Blasio administration had explicitly fast-tracked this project. Uh, this whole notion that all of what we seek to preserve can be simply shunted aside with enough careful manipulation is another precedent I don't think we want to stand for. Um, when we looked at the, 
when we looked at this lot and the purchase of it, we said, well, you know, the precedents are so clear. And that's not to say you can't decide that things have changed and that maybe we're not bound by that precedent. We're going to make a different decision at Landmarks. They never justified it. They never discussed why, what had changed, what was different, why they were going to disregard their previous precedents. That's a serious problem. And that's what Engeron ruled on. And that's was, now what's under appeal. Was there, was there, or has there been a conversation? I, I mean, it seems like a, a big part of this was not necessarily about the project, but the scope of the project, right? Um, has, right. I mean, it's not, it's not as if you're saying there can't be anything that, that could be built on this, this piece of land. It's just, it, you need to be within the certain bounds of the, of the, you know, whatever, whatever rules and zoning the historic district. Well, we certainly stuck by the zoning. And I think part of that is how that zoning had been created. It wasn't an arbitrary number, it was more mm -hmm. of a negotiated number. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost the train of thought. No, were, were they were they willing? Has the was oh the yes, something should be built there. The, uh, I mean, landmarks doesn't go with zoning, as you know, right. right? But they do go with appropriateness, and I think what had happened that what that zoning reflects is that people came to the terms with 120 feet is the limit of what's appropriate, mm -hmm. and certainly 324 feet isn't. Yeah, something should it's, be built there. No one's objecting to something being built. Right. Is the developer's argument that it's not economically viable to build something that's that's at that size, that if they're building, they need to build it at a certain size so that they can sell a certain number of units? I'm, I'm just wondering what they're like, why they weren't willing to come to the table and potentially compromise and say, all right, we, we you know, we own this land now. We're going to build something, but we're, we, you know, we're, we're willing to build it within the within the, the bounds and scope of, you know, this 125 foot limit as opposed to needing to double it or triple it or whatever it is. Well, clearly this is yeah, you know, hypothesis on my part, but I would say they want to make more money. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about views, the views they can sell from that power over an otherwise low-rise seaport district is going to be a major selling point. And the more units they have up there, the better for them. Their business model is in fact and then I'm getting this from their stockholders report. They want high-end retail and high-end residential. And the two create a synergy. If you look at what's now available in the tin building, uh, in my view, it's high-end. They used to have posters up. I think we embarrassed them out of it. They used to advertise aspirational shopping. And we started asking, excuse me, what is aspirational shopping? <laughs> A place that used to be a fish market. Um, they took that one down. I mean, that's their model. And for that reason, they want as much of that high price residential as they can. They sold it. And this is another item that came up in the, the, the uh, Landmarks Preservation hearings and in our lawsuit. Is this would supposedly make money available for the South Street Seaport Museum. Um, that linkage, and despite Sarah Carroll saying, well, you understand there is no linkage. I mean, it was two proposals were in very unique fashion put forward together, one for a museum building, uh, which no one was intending to build. It was a design that could be approved. And the other was for uh, the 50 Water Street structure. 
they kept talking about how this will make money available for the museum. That is not how landmarks are supposed to work. Uh, I happen to think that that museum should get money. That's my view. I, I am all, we are all in favor of Seaport, and I believe the Seaport Coalition very much in favor of seeing that museum thrive. We came up with alternative plans by which it could be financed. You didn't need this $40 million payoff uh, that Howard, actually Howard Hughes was never writing a check to the museum. Howard Hughes was buying air rights from the city and the city was then going to take that money and put it into what's now an escrow into a museum sustaining fund. Hmm. So the developer wasn't making a donation, not to say that it hasn't made donations, it has, I believe it continues to do so. $40 million, it was buying for that. It was buying air rights. Mm -hmm. hmm. And anyone could have bought those air rights. And those air rights, there have been several air rights sales from the seaport. It was designed, in fact, so that it would remain low rise and that those air rights, development rights, could be sold outside yeah. of the seaport authority. And in fact, we found an alternative buyer. Didn't get any interest, not from the city. It's a it's a familiar playbook. I think a lot of a lot of developers do. You know, there's a version of that where if it's not funding a museum, it's funding low income housing, right? It's funding. There's always there's always sort of political. Um, the, the the goal is to get a big building built, but there's often often these little um, sure these things that they have to sort of throw in to to get the community to to buy in. So. Well, again, see it. again First time see it with a museum quoting like from Howard Hughes' own publication, they deliberately set out to use the museum as a political cover. That's that's uh, one of those things that you say you say you don't you don't sure, yeah yeah <laughs> as a lawyer. Oh, we read it. It's not what you want to see in writing. You might you might say that to someone uh, you know over a few drinks, but. I don't want to put that down in writing. They need a new new spin doctor on their staff. Mm -hmm. Oh, they've got some good ones, but <laughs> they, they they're not awake all the time. You know, they're just not. Right. They spent, by the way, one point seventy seven million dollars on lobbying last year. Wow, interesting. They're busy. They're busy. Yeah. They so, so what is what is the current stat? I mean, you 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 won this. Uh, you got a victory um, in, I guess it was Supreme Court, right? New York Supreme, York and, State, and, yeah. and now it's being now it's being appealed. Um, where do things kind of currently stand at the moment, and what what does the what does the future look like? It holds. Okay, uh, two things. One, there there was. There remains a temporary restraining order, but there has been some um, partial stay of that order to allow work to continue on the remediation. By the way, this was a brownfield site. Um, it hasn't come up. Um, there used to be a thermometer factory there. Ah. Back in the days when no one cared what you did with the excess mercury. Right. There was, there was mercury in the ground. Um, that is what gave rise to another neighborhood organization, Children First, was a tremendous concern that that remediation be done correctly. And there was an unprecedented outpouring uh, of interest expressed to the state. It's a state program, a brownfield program. It's getting done right. We were able to hire, uh, we were able to oblige the hiring of our own engineering consultant. 
And well, and there's, there's a neighborhood task force, community groups, and electeds that make in all parties, including the developer and the engineers, that make sure that that remediation is happening correctly. Um, that I sort of strayed off the point. I'm sorry. That was a major yeah. element: the mercury factory, uh, the thermometer factory. Yeah, just 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 sort of trying to figure out where the where the case is going. Uh, oh, right, right. So the remediation is allowed to continue. They had half completed the remediation. The other half of the remediation is going to be permitted. Foundation is going to be laid. Uh, no, no construction above the ground. One, we want the remediation done. That's that's a good thing. Uh, unless you're going to cap it all with cement, which the parking lot did. Um, you want to get that mercury out of the ground. And there are also some volatiles. There were some filling stations and gas tanks and whatnot there. So to that extent, they're allowed to continue work. They're facing a deadline. 421A, I believe it is, the state uh, program to encourage the construction of housing. They have to finish. I mean, they got their foundation in, in the nick of time, right? There was a deadline for getting your first piling in, and they made it. They have a construction schedule that they have to finish that building by, I think, 2026 to qualify for this program that is being discontinued because people saw it, or at least enough elected officials saw it as something of a giveaway. It's a 35-year tax abatement, I think. They're under deadline, and the judge saw that, all right, let them, let them go with the foundation, but that's it until the final hearing on the merits of the appeal takes place. That is being expedited because there is this deadline facing the construction. And, you know, we, we certainly don't want to be at this any longer than we have to, so there's no objection there. But this is going to get done. What happens after the appeal is decided depends on what that decision is. I don't know. Gotcha. Um, so, uh... I guess just kind of wrapping up that side of, of the, of the issue or of the general matter, I think that's a super interesting case and a lot of interesting points brought up. Um, I'm wondering other than the lawsuit, are there other, um, other significant uh, projects that, that the coalition is working on right now as it pertains to the seaport and protecting the seaport? Obviously, very engaged, Save Our Seaport and the Seaport Coalition in all the resiliency designs. Uh, the Seaport District itself is an extremely low-lying area. Uh, it was completely, in fact, there's a little marker in Water Street by the Titanic Lighthouse that shows what the high tide mark was in 1664. That was the high tide mark during Sandy. It's a very low-lying area, so there are special considerations for that. And then there's the whole Lower Manhattan Resiliency Project. Uh, on the east side, this is a part of it, but it's a, a more concentrated part of it because the area is so much at risk. We're engaged in what that planning is. Um, the Seaport Coalition is also interested in what happens to the new market site. It was the Seaport building that extended over the East River, not the Tin building, but the new market building which has since been demolished. And we were not happy about that. We fought it, but it was going to get demolished. Uh, what's going to go there? What's going to go on the shore there? Can there be some sort of community facility there? Uh, Save Our Seaport is also part 
only a part of a, a growing group of organizations that are very concerned with how the EDC designs the waterfront, which is beautiful landscaping, but there's no place to put a boat. This was no, no place to put a boat. Oh, no place to put a boat. Right. I mean, there are a couple of extant piers, and they have said there won't be any less room than there is now when we're done. There isn't enough room now. The Seaport had the Seaport Museum had to send ships elsewhere because there was simply no room for them. Uh, some of these resilience measures may actually decrease pier space. This was the street of ship. There is, even if you don't choose to use them at this time, there is every reason to make it possible to use bulkheads for a boat. Lower Manhattan was evacuated on 9-11 by boat. Mm. Uh, it is still access for emergency vehicles. There is no right. reason why that can't be designed into a bulkhead. Even if you choose not to use it, it will be available from the time that you do so choose. You can't retrofit it. It's very expensive. We are advocating to see that designed in. So that's a growing concern. And this resiliency is, is, is going to be critical. I mean, that next storm is going to come. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to sit there and watch Lower Manhattan flood. On the other hand, we don't want to see it turned into a place that you cannot get from the water. David, what was your role? Were, were you on board during Sandy? And, and did you have a role in... You know, mitigating. I was literally yeah. on board during Sandy. We oh. <laughs> take the Pioneer had been the Pioneer, which is the operating uh, schooner from the museum. It has a second schooner, the Luddy Howard. Luddy is in the Great Lakes right now. Pioneer does day sails out of well, two hour, three hour sails out of the seaport on a regular basis. The season's coming up. It had been operating in Haverstraw, as it, you know, we sometimes go remote. Mm -hmm. And they started looking at the storm predictions and they said, let's just stay up here. Mm -hmm. And they called for a skeleton crew and I won or lost the flip of the coin. And I showed up and I cooked for the three days we were up there. The scariest part, frankly, was watching what was happening in New York. I mean, water was pouring. The, the boats, the museum boats were fine. The museum buildings were flooded. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And there, there were there there was there there had been museum staff that stayed in the building for the, the storm, and they just said we're not going anywhere now, right? Because there was no way to get out. We're flooded in. Right. Uh, but even the tall ships had been secured well enough because the captains know what they're doing. I just push when they say push and pull when they say pull. Uh, the boats were secure. The boats were fine. Yeah. Interesting. We should have we should have had uh, Emily join this conversation. We have a we have an associate who works at our firm who spent a year of her life living on a boat and sailing around. Um, I think mostly the East Coast and down into the Caribbean. Yeah. But she she has a boat up and that she she has docked it or moored. What's the correct word? Uh, stationed up in uh, in City Island. Oh, uh, City Island. I used to sail out of there. Yeah, yeah. we we actually did it. We did a a firm offsite one day. It's at at her. What is it? Her yacht club. There's a, a the yacht club. Yes. Yeah, cool little cool little building up up in City Island, and we kind yeah. of like rented the rented the top floor. And it, it there, you know, going to a place like that, you just realize like how rich the history of kind of the maritime history of the city is. And and I think everything you're saying is so um, interesting to because because you do you do live in New York, and 
you kind of forget about all of those things. Sometimes you forget how like it, it really is a coastal city and, and so many of the issues that you're touching on are, are um, you know, it's so important to, to keep that, keep that past alive and, and to, to revitalize it in many ways too. I think. You know, I couldn't have put it better. That's, that's actually why Landmarks Preservation Commission was founded because there are things that would get paved away that we would never get back. Um, the possibility of standing around with your family at the seaport and suddenly watching a tall ship come in, just because that happens to be where they do that, right. is something we don't have to lose. And yeah. it's something that we gave our seaport started to help protect. And yeah. the museum is part of that. The South Street Seaport Historic District is part of that. And that's the whole waterfront. Yeah. All right. Well, I see the I see the countdown timer on the Zoom on the Zoom machine now. Um, we have we had forty minutes, and it looks like our our time is coming to an end. Um, this has been a super interesting conversation, and and really appreciate you uh, carving out some time. I don't know, Mike, if you have anything else, any other final questions. Otherwise, we can. This is probably a good place to wrap it up. And um, yeah, no, I think we 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 covered a lot uh, more than I thought we could cover. Actually, uh, gave I think everybody a lot to think about too. So we'll, we'll be continuing to watch. Okay, thank you. We'll, your efforts. We'll still be there. And there, <laughs> there, were, there was a watch before us. There will no doubt be one that has to come after us, but right now it's our turn. Right. Keep up the good work and thank okay. you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, Knowlton, and Polina on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn more.